Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name's Alexi. And my name's Sam. Goose Island's Bourbon County Stout is widely considered to be the style standard bearer. Its annual variants are highly sought after, with select vintages fetching huge sums on the secondary market. Our guest this week, Bill Savage, is the lead brewer for Goose Island's Barrel Program. It is his responsibility to oversee the blending of barrels, acquisition of ingredients, and to chart the course for the brewery's sour program. We discuss the creation of BCS each year, sourcing ingredients and barrels, guiding flavor ideas into finalized recipes, and all the factors that go into maintaining and releasing the most widely available barrel-aged beers in America. If you're sitting on a BCS or a Sour Sister, crack it with us as we dive and get heavy. Does AB let you have other titles? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So with Goose Island, like the way that we're structured, we have our brewmaster and then we essentially have our like R&D department is like offshoot of him. But like the three leads kind of just oversee each area of the brewery. So that's just kind of like my area. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's Bjorn Johnson, who's in charge of the uh, brew house. And then there's uh, Patrick Reich in the cellar. So like. Really, because we're a separate building, that's kind of just my neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Do you uh, do you like being in a separate world from Fulton? Sometimes, for sure. Yeah. It's uh, I bon- I do a lot of bouncing back and forth, but I don't know. It's uh, it's nice to just hear nothing sometimes. <laughs> sweet sweet silence yeah rather than like you know 500 pumps running all at once and uh-huh. you know, people being like hey get me that thing i need a wrench <laughs> you know it's just like okay i'm, I'm done with that <laughs> your own world yeah um how did you tell us about uh how you found beer or beer found you oh man uh that's a great question I almost don't remember. Um, you were born with a bottle of booze in your hand. Pretty much, yeah. No, uh, yeah, I was always the beer runner for my grandpa and uh, dad at like every every family gathering. So it just kind of happened. Uh, no, so seriously, yeah, I was the beer runner kid. Uh, always grabbing old styles. And my, I like that. my grandpa was a home winemaker. So I just kind of like got into that uh, with him. So that was kind of a bonding experience for us. He sounds like a true Italian. And that's it. Uh, we're <laughs> Polish. So. Okay, close enough, yeah. Sure. <laughs> my grandfather on my dad's side made his own wine too. Nice. <laughs> Though I don't, I don't think the family drank old style. That was not in the, uh, that was just not in the agenda for them. No. <laughs> no. Usually it's one or the other, but we were, uh, we dabbled. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> so, uh, as far as your interest in then making beverages yourself instead of running them for other people, um, did that start with beer or did it start with mead or, uh, sometimes people fall into beer via the world of mead? Yeah, for sure. So I had a bunch of homebrew buddies in college, I guess. Uh, so I was working summer job, uh, in between classes and stuff and, My buddy Tom kind of just introduced me to the world of beer. Uh, They were homebrewing for like 10 years before I kind of joined their little clique. 
and uh, I got introduced to stuff like Dogfish Head. Sam Adams, I think, always crops up. Uh, the thing that like really blew my mind, I remember, was on my 21st birthday. They took me out and we grabbed, somehow we found, what was it, uh, Triple Bach? You guys ever had that? It's nuts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was like my first, like, oh shit. Beer is like so different from one another, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's like a, a proper old money beer too. Like mm -hmm. uh, a yeah. strong ass <laughs> fucking lager yeah. from Sav Adams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was, uh, that was kind of my first like introduction into crazy beer styles and just kind of like trying to grapple my brain around like what beer can be. Um, just working with those guys on and off just homebrewing and then I started getting into more into it as I was working at a I used to do prairie fires and prairie restoration for a bit so uh as fun as that sounds just lighting fires and watching <laughs> stuff burn uh it's a contentious topic these days. <laughs> yeah I was gonna say in your professional opinion <laughs> yeah I mean unfortunately they need more of it actually like the reason it's kind of gone up and it's gotten so bad is because they don't actually do prescribed burns as they should and you know it, it's such a like bad thing or it was for so long that you know no one can really do it so it's it's gonna it's a giant tinderbox at this point like almost the whole west which is nuts and i feel really bad for everybody out there but yeah i mean <laughs> it's it's crazy <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but back to beer, <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we basically just kind of, while I was doing all that, I kind of was just like, man, I don't know if I can do this my whole life. Uh, and my buddy was just like, well, what are you passionate about? And I was like, I really like doing this. Maybe I could do this. And, uh, yeah. So I started working at Wild Blossom Meadery, uh, on the South side with Greg, um, basically was his assistant for a while. Uh, I don't know if you guys have met him or know him. I have not met mm -hmm. him, but I've tasted their, uh, their product. Yeah. Uh, so I think we, we made some, some progress there, but, uh, ultimately I think beer is just like way more interesting and dynamic. Um, so I started studying at Siebel. Uh, I did their associate program and while I was there, I just met a whole bunch of people who were like, hey, you should go do this, you should go do this. And I'm, uh, I was raised uh, and still live uh, south suburbs of Chicago, so I just uh, basically started looking around. Uh, and Nick Barron, when he was at Flossmoor Station, took me on. Um, and then Bjorn Johnson was also actually there at the same time. So we just started brewing there. Mm-hmm. Sweet. So how did it kind of go from being an assistant to where you are now and you're leading the beer barrel program at Goose Island? Uh, it's weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, when I was an assistant, like Goose Island was just kind of like up on a pedestal to me. Uh, I don't think getting a job there was even remotely in the cards when I was really cleaning constantly, hand bottling stuff, labeling, making sales, like 
running pretty much everything uh, as best I could. Um, yeah, but somehow or other, uh, the brewmaster at the time uh, at Goose basically just we hung out at uh, GABF in 2013, and he was like, hey, you want to come work for us? So I did. As one does. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he was pretty much just like we were playing darts, just hanging out, and uh, yeah, I started working in the cellar, and it's been like seven years now since I've been with Goose, so it's it's been a bit of a ride, but yeah. Is it uh, in uh, the difference between working in the, I guess, first of all, let's, uh, let's set up, like, let's get an imagination as to, like, what the barrel warehouse looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, we've both been there a couple of times, and can you, uh, to your best of abilities, describe what that place is like as uh, in relation to maybe another brewery or just on its own terms? I mean, I think it's all a matter of scale, right? Like, uh, if you're a regional craft brewery, I would say it's it's still big, but it's not uh, nothing crazy, I guess. Uh, the biggest difference is it's a whole separate warehouse just for barrel aging. So we don't have our own brewery attached. We're not like a small offshoot that does, you know, specifically barrel-aged beers like in production right there. We tanker everything over from Fulton. Uh, so that's a whole like logistical thing in and of itself. Um, but in terms of like, you know, your kind of corner like 10 barrel or 15 barrel system uh, brewery or brew pub. Yeah, it's, it's pretty massive. Uh, it's kind of awe-inspiring the first couple times you are in there mm -hmm. and it uh it always makes me feel warm and fuzzy when i walk into work and get to smell just bourbon bourbon yeah it's <laughs> a awesome. lot of bourbon i was gonna say like i think yeah. the times that i've been there have been in the summertime when it's probably not even at full capacity because mm -hmm. i assume that uh Bourbon County is probably not all bottled in November. <laughs> it's probably bottled throughout, like from June, probably from June on, or is there, or does it matter depending on, you know, how the, I mean, this gets into, you know, the efficacy <laughs> of tasting something and bottling it, right? Like how yeah. it, it varies depending on the, how the beer develops, right? Yeah. So we try to plan as best we can. Uh, we have a lot of demands uh, that kind of change every year. So basically we do our best to try to come up with a way to figure out when our start of emptying kind of starts. My job is really pretty strictly focused on uh, like figuring out the blend for that year. So like what's gonna make the most sense? How do we have consistency basically for, for let's just say a hundred barrels roughly for each tanker that we're moving. And we have, you know, a lot of tankers, uh, <laughs> every year. Uh, so it's basically just like, okay, like what, what date groups, what kind of, uh, it has less to do with location in the warehouse than you would think. Um, top racks really don't see that much difference than bottom. Um, much as you would at like a rickhouse if you were in the bourbon world. Mm -hmm. um, 
because we're not that big and it's actually because of how large the warehouse is, there's not that big of temperature fluctuations. Uh, so it doesn't make that big a difference, but basically we just figure out what's gonna make the most sense within 100 barrels that you're blending each time. Mm -hmm. um, and when you're, um, when you're blending for something like Bourbon County specifically, um, are you looking for an ideal of a flavor profile or is it, because I, I feel as though over the years of uh, drinking Bourbon County, you've had times where it was like, it must be, the consumer sees uh, ideas that it should be aged for a certain amount of time. And then uh, I forget if this was like 2016, it was more like, okay, it was aged for less time, but it achieved this idea. Mm -hmm. um, is it the former or the latter, or is it none of the, none of these things? So it's, I mean, it's a whole slew of variables uh, any given year. So like, because 2016 was such a fun time, uh, <laughs> for lack of a better word, it uh, basically just kind of threw a wrench in everything. We took a lot of time trying to figure out everything that was going wrong with the previous years. Uh, and everything was still like kind of coming out while we were doing 2016. So it was just, it was a lot of information and we made some major cuts just to be on the, like err on the side of caution, uh, which I think ultimately was the right thing to do. But, you know, I can understand why people would be upset about that. But ultimately at the end of the day, we want people to be able to have something to actually get that year. So it was kind of just one of those, we made the call, cut these, keep these, uh, and 2016 is what we had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that um, people that complain about these things are people that complain about things as well. <laughs> and we see that in any type of like uh, consumer, consumer goods base. world, right? Yeah. Sure, sure. And well, I mean, we try to be pretty consumer focused. Like, you know, like I said, like I come from that, you know, that's our roots. Um, we don't mean to, you know, it, you have to toe the line, right? Like you can't totally disregard what people want, but at the same time, like there's the reality of situations too. And we can say, hey, we did our best. I hope you like it. And that's kind of what we did. And, or you can try to hush it up and be like, well, no, it's totally the same. What are you talking about? Wink, <laughs> wink, nudge, nudge. And <laughs> when they know it's not the same. Exactly. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. you, you can, you can tell the difference, but, um, you know, a lot of the things that we made changes to were kind of in response to a lot of the stuff that was happening previously that we just were not comfortable with moving forward. So we just made those changes. Yeah, it was different, but it was ultimately for the sake of getting this beer out to consumers without them having to worry about, you know, it changing drastically over the course of like two months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What were, if you could highlight like maybe two or three of the biggest changes that occurred as a result of that, whether they're uh, production changes or whether they're like uh, general, like philosophical changes, uh, what were some of the kind of more important things that 
you feel as though we're learning lessons or takeaways from it? Yeah, I would say we started taking a look uh, a lot closer at what we were getting in, uh, in terms of, <laughs> in terms of a, like barrel as a raw material, you know, the same way that we want to look at the quality of our grain. Like you look at, uh, you know, your, your, stats on different types of malts that you're getting in. We do hop rubs out in the field, so we know what kind of hops we're gonna be getting off of each, like out of each farm or out of each, uh, you know, bin that we're getting. Uh, you know, we might, basically we wanted to do the same thing with barrels. So the big thing with that really boils down to going to the distillery, uh, kind of narrowing down who we're gonna be working with uh, and taking a look at their everybody's dump line. So everyone is very, very different. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to go down to Kentucky or really anywhere that they're doing dumps, but uh, everything is different at every location, and some places are filthy. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. um, okay. And some are much better. So we basically just want to just take a look at that, you know, try to figure out are we picking anything up, potentially from just like the area or like soil that's getting kicked up because these guys are working through like thousands of barrels a week, you know? Oh, yeah. So it's like, you know, how, how diligent are they with their cleanliness when it's a distilled product, they don't need to worry about any of the things that we need to worry about. So it's just kind of one of those like, okay, there's that, what can we do on our end? So we started getting, uh, you know, we bought an ozone generator uh, that like we basically rinse. We don't want to do like anything to the inside of the barrel. We want to keep that distillate as untouched as possible, but we rinse the outside of our barrels as soon as they come in uh, and right before we start using them. Um, we've done trials with gaseous ozone just to see if that changes flavor profile at all. It does slightly. Uh, so yeah, there's there's quite a few kind of learnings that we took from that. Um, and then at the end of the day, we also just started uh, having more of a control on how quickly um, we fill those. So we used to have a fairly loose, well, I shouldn't say that. The quantity of Bourbon County that we were producing was not, um, like there was no problem with us getting barrels in because we could get them in essentially at around the same time as when we wanted to be filling them, right? So as soon as we started scaling up, like sourcing became more difficult at the same time just because the bourbon boom was really like in full swing. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people wanted those used barrels for all kinds of different things. But um, yeah, 2015, 2016 is like right when that was really like spiking. So it was a, a lot harder for us to get adequate barrels uh, that absolutely did not get touched by any other, other person other than from the distillery. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we just kind of started looking at like the logistics chain a little bit closer and having more ties directly with the distillery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's one of the things that consumers we lose sight of is that you take for granted that you, you take for granted a supply chain that may occur. Whereas if you're a brewer, you see, all right, 
there may be people between you and the person that's emptied the barrel, right? There may mm -hmm. be a dealer that's selling the barrels. There may like, there could be a whole host of things and who knows what happens between then. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We found all kinds of crazy, <laughs> tons of shit in, the, in those, uh, barrels, man. There's, I found hoses. I found like rings. I found all kinds of nasty shit, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a nightmare uh, unless you really know what you're doing. Like drivers, people just pick stuff up, like drop stuff in just to like have fun. I don't know what they do with their time. I don't know how that can be fun, but there's all kinds of stuff in there. We had one actually we found like the whole inside was covered basically in what looked like PVC piping like the entire interior. So someone went through a lot of trouble Whoa. to try to build that. <laughs> and we're just like, why would anybody do this? Extreme so if you know, yeah. please call me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. So then I assume after that 2015 year, you really honed in the barrels and the people that you're getting them from is it like you've worked out contracts with them so that's like a direct buy and then it goes right to you so no not necessarily so we still have worked and really liked our relationship with uh Speyside cooperage uh they've aaron down there has really been a great contact for us they've helped us out and they still do um Basically, the distillery, when they're done with the barrel, they just want to get rid of that inventory, right? Um, so they work out contracts with, like, large purchasers beyond their walls. Um, and Speyside really started working with, uh, you know, the name basically comes from Speyside in Scotland. So they mm -hmm. are a supplier for the Scotch whiskey industry. Uh, and they go through way, way more than we will ever need. <laughs> so, um, they were a great contact and they, they really have helped us out just if anything, by like getting us in contact with the dump line managers themselves, anytime we need or want to inspect, uh, dump lines. Um, and also they basically grade all the barrels for us. So like rather than, and they're right in Kentucky, they're right in Bardstown. So they're like, literally like a stone's throw from heaven hill and uh willet and all those guys uh so basically what they do is just inspect each load and they'll give us like a a grade barrels so that we're basically not almost mitigate where it's a mitigation risk for you know having leaks all over the warehouse all the time like it still happens to a degree but it's it would be way worse if we didn't have that so. Mm -hmm. And a little problem like that scales up pretty quickly when you're talking about <laughs> thousands of barrels. Yeah. Um, as so that that covers the sourcing and ingredient side. Um, as far as the liquid itself, once it's come out of wood, uh, is beer being pasteurized, or is there anything any other consideration that occurs cold side? We could say. Yeah, for sure. So aside from trying to get. Uh, fresh barrels so that our ABV stays fairly high. Um, you know, we're not shooting for the highest humanly possible, but we are, you know, looking for a certain range, uh, just to kind of help mitigate, um, any microbial growth that can still occur. Cause there is still, 
anyone who tastes Bourbon County knows there's a lot of sugar still behind, so that's just a natural risk. Um, but once it's done aging uh, and it kind of reaches our target kind of profile, generally speaking, um, we do our blend and then we ship it over to uh, back to Fulton and they we recently got a flash pasteurizer in yeah, 26, 2016, end of 2016. Uh, so that basically heats it up really fast uh, and cools it back down really fast so that uh, any any microbes that were living in there are no longer living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Extermination. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, on the Bourbon County note, should we uh, crack open one of these and do a little sampling? Should we, uh, should we start with... Uh I with the beer should. you already finished, I did. Yes, it was. It was rather delicious. <laughs> so we'll put a we'll put a we'll put a we'll put a small pin in Bourbon County and uh-huh. come back to yeah. that. Let's start with uh, with this delicious, pretty accessible. Uh, this is a fooder beer, correct? Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's new. Yeah, one of our newer releases. So um, basically, since we got our fooders back in, I think we got them in 2014. The first three. Um, we haven't really done a ton of releases with them. We've done a lot of trials and some aging experiments, but um, you know we don't produce uh, beers quite the same way as like New Belgium does, uh, and our approach is a little bit different um, than both them. And uh, I personally really like Allagash. Shout out to Allagash; they do some great stuff. Um, and yeah, basically we're just kind of doing a lot of trial and error. And it takes a long time to kind of figure some of that out. So we've still got plenty of trials going, but um, by and large, to kind of just do a little summary, we've uh, had a couple other releases. We did like a Fooder Apricot, which was a golden. Uh, We've done this and that, but um, this particular one is Fooder Moira. It's like we wanted to kind of strip everything back down get away from our sour sisters a little bit just to kind of have differentiation. Uh, and there's no fruit whatsoever added to this. It's just malt, hops, water, yeast, and uh, bacteria. And yeah, basically we just started with like a really light, sessionable uh, dark ale that we barely hopped, if at all. Uh, and yeah, just kind of let it sit and do its thing. And it really took on some cool, like wine-like properties mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, some like black currant kind of cherry, some slight licorice notes. Definitely. Uh, yeah. And we were pretty happy with it. So we released it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, I already finished one glass. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I um, think, I think this beer strikes like a, a really a uh, really nice note as far as giving you the idea that there's fruit and there's strong fruit flavor mm-hmm. in there without fruit being in there. But that component is also pretty balanced in relation to like the malt profile. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the bugs as well too, um, mm-hmm. which kind of enhance all of that in a lot of ways. Like it, it, it's balanced. And I think that yeah. um, in the world of like, session session alcohol content sours we could say that are predominantly like kettle sours versus mm-hmm. like um uh, mixed fermentations or a different type of method sure um this is this is balanced 
And whereas yeah. those beers uh, tend to lean on acid plus fruit addition, that, that side of the formula. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this is an amazingly balanced light beer. I would drink a whole lot more, a whole lot more. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I do get like a little bit of like that apricot or like a deep pitted fruit kind of character mm-hmm. in there. For no fruit being added, it's delightful. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there a specific Belgian beer that uh, comes to mind to you when you drink this? No, <laughs> not at all. Uh, I don't know. Is there one that you're thinking of? Not not that comes directly to mind, but like when you mentioned kind of um, Allagash, I jumped even further into like Belgian beers and was thinking about some characteristics of Oudbrun, but it, it's, I mean, uh, it's the malt profile isn't as like robust as you find in those beers and the fruit isn't as, the fruit profile is in a similar world, sure. uh, but it's not, uh, it's a little less bold than that. I would say this is like a little more probably approachable for anyone that like may pick this up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kind of goal was again, like, Total different, totally different from our sour sisters, and like those can be a bit overwhelming for a lot of people. And anytime anyone thinks sour, you know, they a lot of people just kind of turn their noses away at it or are like diving right in. So we wanted to try to get. I mean, the goal in mind was really just like, okay, what if, what if we just like found someone who, either is averse or has literally never heard of a sour beer before but they do enjoy barrel age product like, or wine, right? Like try to get some of those like wine consumers to try to think about beer in a different way. And I think, you know, usually people who do will either jump into a goose, which by all means do so they're fantastic. Uh, but Mm -hmm. we were kind of shooting for something like lower ABV, something that is very clearly like beer still, but still has like a lot of like approachable nuances that uh, a lot of just like straight up no bugs lack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the thing is that I think a lot of there's a general consensus that sour beers is a way that people that can come from wine, but I don't really see a parallel between like kettle sours that are that have you know pretty high pHs. Yeah. I don't see how a wine drinker would like that because there's no wine that approaches that level of, of no, acidity, acidity or yeah. balance uh, no. or lack thereof uh, <laughs> in the case of like overfruited kettles. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, should we try a couple of Bourbon County beers? I think so. Un- unpull the pin. Uh, yeah. yeah, take the pin out. <laughs> or pull out the bung, <laughs> you could say. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Where, where, it, do we, where do we want to begin? Sure. Yeah. Uh, that is the question. Probably this guy. So this one's the, uh, which one is this? 2019. So this is our two-year-aged Knob Creek Barrel uh, Reserve. So it was aged for two years in our warehouse uh, in 11-year Knob Creek. Sweet. And this is obviously something that was made specifically for 2019. You haven't done this over again yeah Uh, the nice thing about like knob creek barrels in particular is they are intense so we just thought it would be really cool to see what 
extra aging would do to it just because they can be a bit hot and uh, real spicy um, just when they're kind of young or like towards that eight month mark. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes like when we filled these originally, we were kind of like on the cusp of like whether or not this would be the right age for 2018 or not. And we were just like, nah, I don't think so. Let's give it another year. So this is what happened. So is mm -hmm. this, I mean, do you, I assume you don't fully know what kind of Knob Creek barrel you're getting. Like what, uh, when I specify that, you don't know if you're getting bourbon or if you're getting rye per se, or do you get that oh, yeah, info? We, yeah. You do get that info. Yeah, absolutely. So are we drinking from a rye barrel then? No, no. this is just bourbon. Okay, yeah. cool. That carries quite a bit of fruit and is like really well integrated with a little less of like uh, marshmallow, I guess that you could get mm -hmm. um, from diff from different wood. Mm -hmm. um, when you okay, so as far as the base beer that people may remember as Night Stalker, right? From mm -hmm. uh, is that beer continuously the base, or does the base itself? uh change year over year the the beer prior to aging of any kind yeah so there's <laughs> there's kind of a short answer and a long answer the short answer is no it does not change uh the long answer is anyone who brews any beer consistently throughout the years there are lots and lots of like micro changes right mm -hmm. so time of year you're boiling temperature kind of changes, right? Like there's, there's a lot of variables that can change how things age over time. Uh, and I would say like our specifications are not any different. So largely like our boil times will be slightly different here and there, but that's the same with every beer, right? Every brewery kind of has that, but mm -hmm. For this one in particular, I think um, there's a few things at play. Uh, diacetyl levels when it goes into the barrel, uh, pH, like whether we're pulling yeast off fast enough or not. Um, you know, post-fermentation, I should say. Uh, we've gotten a lot better at some of those things, or most of those things, I would say, because uh, every year we're just looking at like something new like so how can we make this like slightly better and i would say sometimes it shines through and sometimes it does not uh and some things get masks completely just by the barrels themselves uh and how wet they are like if they're real wet none of that matters you're just going to get some of that bourbon characteristic and how that ages and how that how oxidation kind of affects it over time is is really the the key component um but yeah, it's a clunker of a beer. Mm -hmm. Good age as well. Uh -huh. Yeah, I think um, that was a very interesting beer. Like when Goose released Night Stalker mm -hmm. and they said, you can try Bourbon County before it's Bourbon County. I think that was more or less like the marketing line on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I remember not really liking it a whole lot. I, I thought, <laughs> my God, I'm glad they put this in something else to change it. Or like, but I think that's kind of the, at the, really like at that time and really from like 2008 or like six to 2010, you had so many breweries that would make this award-winning oatmeal stout or this award-winning Russian Imperial stout. And then they would think, I mean, hey, it's gonna be better. It's yeah. going to like automatic. It's like a formula adding bourbon barrel equals better. <laughs> yep. And that's not always the case with beers. I remember specifically, um, uh, hop and frogs, Boris, the crushers, like one of my favorite Russian Imperial stouts. It, it has this like weird banana. I think it's an ester, or maybe a malt profile, but there's like a banana flavor that comes off of it that, mm -hmm. Uh, is really, really beautiful, and it, it's just a balanced, great beer on its own. And then I had, like, a barrel-aged version of it, and I was like, man, this just isn't the same. It's not, I mean, obviously, it's not going to be the same beverage, but everything that I liked about it and that probably won it multiple Great American Beer Festival awards was mm -hmm. not present when it sat around for a year in wet wood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so with that knowledge going into drinking night stalker it was like this makes sense this is a beer that um needs to go in wood and needs the wood it needs that uh marriage of flavors or that it's like a couple in a way mm -hmm. yeah for sure uh yeah i'm not a fan of it on its own at all uh <laughs> sorry goose uh yeah no it's just uh it's really bitter that's like the first thing like there's a lot of hops in this, actually. You just can't tell at the end. Mm -hmm. um, and anyone who's had, like, heavily hopped stouts, they're not good. I don't know if anyone really, really wants, like, Cascadian dark ales that are, like, super, also very viscous, right? Like, you kind of want... <laughs> a 12% black IPA. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, ah, I mean, I guess you can do it, but why? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Why? <laughs> Why? So uh, that comes up, you know, I think that that's an important distinction to, to bring up is that you're looking at the process from the different perspective of we've made this beer now we're going to barrel age it. It's more, is it more that here's an idea as to roughly where we want to end up with Bourbon County and this is how we're going to get there based on what we've got. I think originally it was more like the original original batches like that was greg just kind of trying something and seeing if it could work like i'm sure he had his ideas of you know what and why um but i i can't really go into that um right so <laughs> well you're not greg so yeah exactly <laughs> bring him on um but yeah like we basically just kind of know it as fans of it um you know, coming to it with a bit of respect of just like what it's done for the beer scene, what it's done for Chicago overall as kind of just a beer hub city. Um, and the flavor profiles that we particularly like, um, we're just still kind of picking apart as to like what causes that, you know, specifically. And we're still figuring that out, I would say, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is fun. When, uh, when there's been an evolution to how the variations of Bourbon County have, I mean, even in my own time of drinking beer, it's changed from more or less a set of variations that 
occur coffee barley wine uh proprietors being uh something that was supposed to be the one that changes every year to now looking at a lineup for this year for example um you don't have barley wine you have wheat wheat wine with apples and uh, like an autumn idea mm-hmm. um you have a proprietors that's very different from last year and the year before that's more like pastry inspired by a pastry um you have uh you have coffee so like i think that there's a clear evolution here of to where these things have come from mm-hmm. in the sense that it's not just out plus barrel plus coffee or barley wine plus barrel. Now there are uh, adjuncts, there are more adjuncts that are clearly a part of the profile. Um, where do you think, um, does this come from an idea of like innovation? Does this come from instinct on the part of people uh, that are uh, such as yourself or like Emily who has been a part of the formulation of some of these things? Um, is it intrigue? Is it, uh, that people want this? Where does some of this come from? Yeah, I think some of it's just kind of in every brewer's nature to kind of want to tweak things that already exist. Right. So we already know what we're getting roughly, uh, each year with Bourbon County. It is different every year, but it's, you know, it's a Russian Imperial Stout aged in a bourbon barrel, right? So I think the original, like, vanilla rye um, rye whiskey uh, barrels or the uh, cherry rye, like, those were kind of the initial pieces that we, we tried dabbling with and trying something new with, and people really responded well to. Um, and we basically just took that and tried to run with it every year, uh, and we're doing something a little different every year. Uh, but yeah, basically we do a giant brewer-led uh, hodgepodge tasting of whatever the hell anybody wants to be doing. So uh, I, we've done, I don't even know, <laughs> too many, uh, way too many different trials. Um, and some things are like really awful. We've I remember a mace BCS that we did, and it's exactly <laughs> what you probably are thinking, right? Like it's literally anything. It's no hold bar. If someone wants to just destroy your palate just to fuck with you, they will, right? We've done. Oh, this year there was Szechuan peppercorn, uh, so no one could taste anything the rest of the time. Oh God. <laughs> So, I mean, it's like, it's fun. It's, you know, tongue in cheek sometimes. And sometimes it's more like, no, seriously, guys, do you like this? (laughs) Uh, And we'll just kind of like continuously tweak for about three rounds. And whoever has the best ideas, like we just want to do something different a little bit every year. And that's kind of just fun. It keeps things interesting for us. It keeps things interesting for the seller. Uh, We definitely have a lot of work every year because of that. Um, It's not always fun, but you know, it's beer, man. Like have fun with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. No, I think that the, the kind of long tail of evolution from like vanilla rye and cherry and then backyard and uh, shows that 
this has actually been happening for a very long time. And I think um, th these beers were pretty inspirational for a lot of the people that are now making lactose, coffee, cacao nibs, whatever beers. Um, and I think that uh, in a way they do that because one, that's what their market has responded to or what they think that market is. Yeah. But I think there's also an understanding among them that this beer is in some ways untouchable too, in that you can't make that same beer. People can argue that Perennial has made Abraxas. There are beers that have come about that um, are radical, are different in a lot of ways, but there's a specific construction behind this beer that people aren't making anymore. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I can't really speak to that because it's, I've been here pretty much forever. So I know other people are doing that. Like Abraxas is a great version uh, or I don't want to call it a version. They do their beer very well. Um, you know, Firestone makes some great ones. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of other breweries who are doing similar styles who are doing things very similar to how we do things but i think that's ultimately just because we all kind of like some of the same things right it, as mm -hmm. opposed to you know we're trying to steal off of each other or riff off of each other like maybe there is a bit of that but i, I think it's ultimately just yeah what do you feel like doing cool i'm gonna do something similar because i love that flavor profile like I don't know how many horchata beers have been made, but like everyone wants to do it. It's come up almost every Bourbon County like trial season, but like, yeah, it's cause we love those flavors, right? Like mm -hmm. there's something about that, that beverage that I think would really go well with, but we've never executed well. Right. So mm -hmm. it's just kind of one of those like organic processes that, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. It's nice too, to know that it's not really forced. It's just, you know, it's like you said, it's organic. It's whatever kind of sifts through the employees' minds and what is good to the majority. And that's kind of what, you know, then yeah. Yeah. we see as consumers. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like, you know, popular vote counts, right? Mm -hmm. So like you might really think one version like this, this person came up with a really great idea. They executed it really well, but you know, is anyone really going to want like, I guess our th theoretically thousands of drinkers going to really want that, uh, you know, jal jalapeno habanero right. bomb BCS. Like probably not. That doesn't mean we can't try, can't, can't mess around with it. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, probably not going to go down that road. Right. But fun to try. <laughs> no, but I think it's interesting when you're looking at um, the fact that this is a beer that's also going to be in 50 states and in other countries too. You're thinking about a, uh, a wider or larger market as well. Right. Right. And so, uh, how does that kind of in, uh, how, or if does that, uh, not a sentence, but <laughs> how does that kind of, uh, does that inform your approach in some way as to how you're looking at adjuncts and different variations? I mean, yes and no. Um, ultimately, like if something is probably going to be a little bit more polarizing, right? Like 
think we, the, the first question is going to be like, is it good? If it passes that and every, there's general consensus among everybody uh, in the brewing department, the next question is, how do we scale this up? And that's really like, that is the piece of the equation that we take into consideration when determining like, how big can we get with this? Because there's just, sometimes it's like way, way too difficult to make, I don't know, a national release of something, right? Mm -hmm. like, and, but it might be really good, and so we want to make it for Chicago fans or you know everyone in our backyard who's you know been a fan for years or just coming to it. But mm -hmm. and that was part of uh, proprietors from the start, right? Was it was something for the Chicago market? Absolutely, yeah. So kind of just like nothing's really come from anybody who's working in a different part of the country. It's not like hey, uh, you know, West Coast. Pacific Northwest sales really want this. Can you guys make this just for that region? It's like, no, we're going to kind of just keep this brewer led. Um, you know, I think we have a better pulse on what people want to be drinking in our own backyard at the very least than, uh, you know, that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I think that the consumers in your backyard are a pretty decent barometer as well too if you look at the cross-section that uh that chicago represents um for sure yeah yeah i, I, yeah, I think <laughs> yeah um i had something um <laughs> it's the elijah craig speaking yeah no i just think that um uh i i think this beer is aged uh, pretty interestingly i know that it wasn't as cold as I, or as dark. Well, it's been dark because it's in a, yeah. in a box, it's, but it's been in a box. <laughs> yeah. It was not refrigerated the whole time. And I was just kind of realizing that a little bit, it's mm -hmm. aged maybe a little bit quicker than, than I would have liked, but it's tastes mm -hmm. really nice though. Mm -hmm. There's definitely more of that marshmallow characteristic on this one than the first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that, and I think, Elijah Craig barrels like always have that nice baking spice component that just like balances everything out always. It's kind of a go-to for, for me anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, yes. So has, uh, sourcing restricted an idea as far as the, yes. Yeah. How, how, okay. How often does sourcing restrict an idea? I would say mostly it's, timing rather than quantity if that makes any sense like we're typically if we want to do a project with a distillery we we are troubled with okay we we only have this window of time for that particular variant if it's going to be a variant so a lot of times we'll have enough like wiggle room or like or knowledge to like try to squeeze that in, right? Because we're brewing it most most of the year. But we have we may have like four variants already kind of in lineup. So usually it's just kind of a, a question of hey, can we get these barrel these specific distillate barrels 
from this distillery uh, at this time? And usually the answer is no, <laughs> mm -hmm. largely because uh, I don't know whether it's really like them or or just the way that we kind of work or operate. But like usually <laughs> we don't find out when they're actually dumping until like sometimes a week of. We don't get much no like foreknowledge, so it's really hard to plan. And we might be either not brewing that week or like we have other things going on, right? So it's just kind of a matter of finding that opportune time. And usually if they're doing a larger release, then that makes it easier for us because we can schedule things a little bit easier, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of more scheduling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did uh, this come together with uh, getting Elijah Craig 12-year 12 uh, year barrels? Uh, honestly, <laughs> this is great. Uh, that was They pure, showed up on your door? Pure <laughs> happenstance. It was okay. amazing. Yeah, we uh, like... Yeah, Spaceside always knows, like, anytime they get them, like, we are interested. Uh, and, yeah, they just showed up. <laughs> it was perfect. Uh, and, yeah, we didn't find out until literally the time we were releasing it that it had won the award from Whiskey Advocate, that it, yeah, Whiskey of the Year. So mm -hmm. it was just, like, fortuitous. Mm -hmm. Worked out great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, do everyone. You, <laughs> do you find that tie-in with how a whiskey is rated, um, receiving or like reciprocating the popularity in that offshoot of Bourbon County as well, or do you feel like they're still pretty loosely? I think it's pretty loose still. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm sure there is some right, but generally speaking, I think the vast majority of beer drinkers are just beer drinkers, and like. You might be seeking some things out, but really it's just like for Black Friday, it's like the occasion, you know what I mean? It's not a, we don't always know exactly what's coming out for sure until pretty close to the end because we're always dabbling and uh, we may have a few irons in the fire still, but you know, some things don't work out. So then I got to figure out what else is going on with the blend that year and it's kind of an always evolving hydra mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is fun but how hectic is that week for you usually i'm taking a sigh of relief and <laughs> uh yeah just kind of being like oh people showed up this year great that's <laughs> that's a little bit of job security for me <laughs> so i'll take it and uh, -huh. uh yeah, seriously, it's it's kind of just like, okay, we did the, everything we could up mm -hmm. to this point. Like, how are things going to go with the public? Because, as you know, it's a three-tier system, so we do not have direct control over anything. It's kind right. of just a, this is what we are trying to do. Hopefully you guys all like it, but it's just kind of a, a little bit of a crapshoot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as everything is. Yeah, <laughs> there's no guarantee. Um, do you feel like um, I know it was before your time with the rise in bourbon, um, but with bourbon rising up, I also feel like these kind of beers kind of got a little bit of a highlight through that, too. 
do you, even though there's not a direct association with, as you were saying, with the Elijah Craig and the Elijah Craig um, Bourbon County, but do you see that the word bourbon on a beer brings in a whiskey drinker in some way? I think it definitely can. Um, it's not a guarantee, but uh, usually I think like the biggest thing for us is like being able to partner on a commercial side, like being able to use, or I shouldn't say use, but being able to like have the label show, you know, Knob Creek, like a hundred percent of this was in Knob Creek barrels. Like we're not saying, we're not loosely saying bourbon, bourbon from this distillery. Like, yeah, there's, there's kind of a, a quality stamp behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what we were shooting for. Uh, you know, we can't do a rare every year, but we can do our best to source the best possible barrels that we can. And that kind of is where the like reserve family of, of bourbon County beers kind of came from, um, and just doing the best we can with, uh, what we can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, in looking at some of the information put out about this year's variations, uh, especially we have, you know, stated specifically Weller 12-year barrels for the anniversary, uh, the birthday barrels from Old Forester as well. So, and in the listings in general, Larceny weeded bourbon. So there is more mm-hmm. disclosure of that as well. And I think that that's definitely something worth highlighting because so many breweries are not disclosing that because it's either a mix of things or because there was no direct connection to the distillery as well. And so it's right. can't be disclosed necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. So that's something we've definitely dealt with in the past as well is like, okay, you got to sign this non-disclosure agreement for these barrels. You can't say who you got these from. And it's just like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> 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 I wish we could, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of just, I think speaks to, what we've been able to do over the years is really just kind of show not only like the beer consuming uh, population, but also like the spirits and wine industry that we have quality control procedures like in place. Like, yeah, we've, everyone makes mistakes, but like owning up to them, fessing up to them and trying to do what's best for the consumer is like paramount to us. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I think that carries a bit of weight. Um, and so we've been able to luckily kind of partner with quite a few really, really great distilleries over the years. And uh, hopefully it continues. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Should we try some 2010? <laughs> Let's uh, do it. Yeah. Yeah. When was the last time you had a, bo- a bottle of 2010? Probably right when I started this gig. <laughs> <laughs> Was so there a hazing years. process where you had to try every single uh, <laughs> Bourbon County that they had in QC? Uh, luckily, no. But we did have the lab, uh, you know, retained for quality control, had you know, old, dusty uh, packages from who knows when, but they were stored very poorly. Uh, oh, nice, <laughs> yeah. Uh, once they hit past <laughs> that five year, they're like, ah, whatever, no one's going to touch this anymore, so... <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we definitely lucked out, and it was delicious. But 
I think the last time I had a 2010 was I was working at uh, at Local Option and we did like a New Year's bottle sale and we were able to get um, 20, 20, uh, a case or two of 2010, 2011, nice. not 2012, uh, but um, a couple of other years thereafter. And I think at that particular time, so this beer was like doing really well on the secondary market. Like mm -hmm. it, it was selling for like a hundred plus dollars. And we were like, nah, we're not like doing more than what we normally mark beers up for. And my fucking God, I'm glad we put like a limit on how many people could buy. <laughs> yeah. Because the first 20 people, the first 24 people in line, cause we disclosed how many you could buy were all like mules for someone else wow. buying it. And some, and after speaking to every single person that was there, I kind of figured out what was going on, but it was, it was unfortunate because, um, someone then put that shit on the secondary market, you know? Yeah. How do you, how does goose approach that? <laughs> I honestly, I don't know. Or how do you feel about it personally? Like as a drinker, like yeah. remove yourself from your job and sure. how do you feel about it? Like personally? Yeah, I hate it. Um, with a passion. I mean, I, I understand it. It makes sense, right? Like any commodity, if you can make some money on it, you know, this is America, right? Like mm -hmm. you should be able to make a buck, but it's just beer, man. It, it, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I need to say any more than that. Like right. let people enjoy it. Let's not price people out of beer. It's, mm -hmm. it's just beer. Like, chill out. I, I mean, I feel the same way. Whiskey has it arguably worse, especially yeah. when you think of Pappy, For sure. you know, and, Oh, and Weller too. We were Weller, talking about yeah. last week with, yeah, uh, with nervous. Chris Quinn. Yeah. 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 It's, it's just grown insane. And it's gotten to this point where people take this value of where something's set at. And it's, it's, this is literally our conversation last week. If it's this much money, then it's good. And it's like, n no, not necessarily. Right. Um, arguably I think Pappy 10 year is better than Pappy 24, but everyone goes for the 24 first. And that's the one that sells for hundreds and hundreds of dollars online, you know? Right. Where if you show up to a release of Pappy and you're out to get the tenure, you can just walk into the store if you're there on the release day and get it. Because no one's really shooting for that. Right. So, yeah, it's it's a shame. I, I agree with you. I think anything beverage or food-wise shouldn't be shut off to a certain population of people because people want to price gouge right. others. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is I feel bad for one thinking back to that situation I described, um, I feel bad for, there were about 60 people in line. Uh, and I feel bad for the people that were normal people and showed up when normal people show up to things <laughs> right. Right. and they didn't have a chance to try. I mean, I thought the beer tasted really great. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think any beer really commands a hundred dollars online. Um, but it was uh, it was kind of unfortunate that someone somewhere else that wasn't there uh, could just pay people to uh -huh. show up. I, I just think it's uh, it, it's unfortunate because beer is something that you 
that is ideally enjoyed like with a sense of time and place as well. Yeah. And even if you're just buying it from a store and going to mm -hmm. drink it somewhere else, I mean, I think like the last couple of people, we told them they could like drink it in. We don't, you know, do what you would like with it if you right. want to take it home. Sure. But there were people that like sat in and drank it. And we were like, yeah, like you're kind of doing the right thing. Like, right. It's already been in the bottle since 2010. <laughs> like I would, right. I would have a sense of urgency about opening it too, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, suffice to say, uh, I think this 2010 has aged pretty decently. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really nice. Some of the smoky notes are awesome. It's just, yeah, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that the the body's held like mm -hmm. it's super well. Sometimes beers that are of this age tend to disintegrate in some way, or like the flavor profiles come apart. But mm -hmm. this is like still pretty well integrated, which mm -hmm. is awesome. Yeah, lots of chocolate, lots of pretty decent caramel still. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, that hasn't just kind of faded into oxidized, gross. Mm -hmm. <laughs> super wet cardboard yeah, yeah. exactly which yeah. is is saying something mm -hmm. well cheers thank you for sharing yeah, yeah if you're uh holding a 2010 bourbon county right now uh you should definitely open it and drink it <laughs> damn um okay should we uh shift gears a little bit yeah i think we could uh shift to the sour side yeah and uh i don't know do you want to give a little bit of a visual visualization for the crowd of people about how the warehouse is kind of um sectioned oh, like off between up? yeah yeah so uh when you first walk in at least on the production side like where everybody walks in uh that works there we basically just have uh, a bunch of roll-up doors and right when you walk in it's uh, a couple tanks um, just stainless tanks like you would see in any brewery uh, we have our hot liquor tank out there and then like you know the red uh, production floor and then immediately past that there's a big wall and there's basically there's four sections you can only see three but uh, on the left is where our office and all of the wine barrel aging uh, or sour beers are held along with our fooders and a couple punchins. Uh, and for those who don't know what punchins are, they're like slightly larger than a butt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're, they're about six hectoliter um, capacity uh, barrels, essentially. They look like big wine barrels. Um, and then we have... Um, rows and rows of wine barrels uh that were yeah that are still sitting there uh, <laughs> they've been there well a bunch of them have been there since 2009 uh so at least with us and then you know held wines for you know 10 12 years prior to that so they're getting up there mm -hmm. um but yeah so there's all of our wine barrel aging a lot of french oak or mixed american french and then basically the whole other three quarters of the warehouse is just for whiskey and bourbon barrel aging. So everything on the left side uh, that's getting soured is a little bit more finicky. So we, we have uh, no temperature or humidity control through most of the, or 
aging warehouse. Uh, and then everything in the wine barrel side is temp controlled. We try to keep it around 70 all year round so that we can have the right type of microflora growing pretty much at all times. Mm -hmm. And how frequently are you sourcing wood for, for that side or is reusing wood a regular occurrence? Yeah, so we, I think the last time we bought newer, uh, we still buy used um, three years ago, two, three years ago. Um, and that was really just to replenish a few things for Jillian and Brasserie Blanc. I don't know if people are super familiar with that one. That's not really a quote-unquote sour sister, but it's uh, kind of a Belgian golden we did with uh, initially different types of grapes, but initially it was with orange musket. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Do barrels ever graduate down from the bourbon side to the wine side? Rarely and few and far between. Uh, we do, but they're like, usually it's more for pretty, uh, we, for instance, we had our Food or Red uh, series that we came out with um, that was kind of similar to this. We did basically uh, inoculation in barrel and then we scaled up, put um, the first run of that into a fooder, had that age longer, kept, you know, about mm, a fifth of the liquid in the barrel and just topped them up um, and kind of had some rapid growth that way and then did a blend of used Bourbon County uh, and I guess for us, Virgin uh, Fooder. So that was a pretty nice, um, basically Flanders red style, mm -hmm. uh, sour. I remember we had that at, uh, we got that right. We had that one when we, when, when we, we went to both. the facility or, uh, maybe it was at the facility. Yeah. Was it the food or red? Food or was it called? It was called food or red. Yeah. yeah. I think that actually saw a market release. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Similar we definitely model. had it. Yeah. 500 mil format. Yeah. That was good. Let's try something. Yeah. <laughs> what? But uh, yeah, grab, grab something sure. you would like. And I kind of want to know where does the distinction fall between the sisters and uh, other brands that come about? So I think originally the idea was let's, I can't speak for the brewers because that was back in 09, 2010, before my time there. Um, but I think it was more or less just like, man, some of these like sours out of Belgium are just phenomenal. Can we try to do something even close? Um, I'm sure a lot of people would say, no, you didn't. <laughs> um, Belgians being the first to point that out, but... Um, you know, just kind of making more fruit, fruited sours that had the rich complexity of um, of some of those Belgian styles, um, and I think for a lot of people, just having kind of something that was like really Brett forward, and uh, you know, but still had that nice like punch of fruit 
So it had like that mixture of like old and new, um, which gets into like the whole like theory behind how you blend uh, for a certain type of beer. That's how that kind of came about. And I think we did um, Juliet first. If I, anyone can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Juliet, then Lolita. Uh, what we have here is Lolita 2018 or 17. I'm not 100%. Um, one of the ones that I know was early in my time in charge, in charge of the barrel warehouse. So uh, coming up with the right blend and ratio of everything. Um, it's a labor of love. I think anyone who does barrel aged sours would <laughs> say that and more. Uh, I don't really like to uh, pontificate, but um, there's just nothing else like them. And Ours here is definitely different from years past because we, like since getting the flash pasteurizer, we wanted to try to do some, try to tweak some things. Uh, and one of the things we all noticed uh, on taste panel was after about three, three, depending on how it's stored, three to four years of certain sour sisters, you started getting more and more acetic. Uh, characteristic which not everyone likes um, some people really you know kind of like it um, to varying levels but by and large we were kind of from my mindset we were just like let's try to dial that back um, and there's different things you can do one of them is change your barrel stock uh, a little bit try to get your bugs back into a working order that uh, mitigates some of that so we did that um, but we also tried um, frozen fruit as well. And so this, I think, highlights more fruit characteristic, less of the, um, yeah, acetic acid bacteria and uh, ethyl acetate is kind of left a little bit lower. Some of that's a mix of, you know, how, how you treat your barrels or what Every brewery has something different, but we don't do any top-ups, but we do age them for quite a while without topping up. So if you don't get a good pellicle formation, uh, the beer's ruined. If you have barrels that have any sort of like bung damage uh, at all, you're probably screwed. <laughs> <laughs> so there's just like a lot of things that like, it's like tedious work. Uh, so that's what I did as soon as I was done working through a lot of the um, poor quality Bourbon <laughs> County of 2016. I immediately <laughs> jumped into that. Um, so yeah, I, I got a lot of uh, a lot of work in that year, <laughs> but uh, learned a lot. So was your interest in uh, in Belgian beer? Um, how did that, uh, was your interest in beer uh, primarily driven by an interest in Belgian beer or was it American craft trying to kind of place these these beers in relation to your, uh, how you came about in beer in the first place? Yeah, I was definitely more in the camp of, um, came to it with craft in mind first. Um, but then like by the time I had actually started in my role I was definitely in the mindset of, okay, these are a bit over the top. Let's, 
let's get some nuance going. Let's really try to like make it a little bit more balanced and approachable um, without losing. Like we're not changing the recipe, right? We're not changing the amount of fruit that we're adding. Um, we're really just playing with how much uh, and how strong the cultures that we're using when we're inoculating, um, you know, how much how much of that and how many cells uh, per mil we're adding, um, what types, um, and basically just kind of getting a better feel for what age is like the right age mm -hmm. uh, to be pulling these. Um, and some of that is not very feasible when you're dealing with a certain scale. So, um, it, yeah, it, there's a lot of troubleshooting involved, but, um, by and large, I think what we, like what I had going for me was knowing that we could use the flash pasteurizer at the end. Um, so once we got to a point where we were happy, um, with the overall blend, we pasteurized, we did trials, um, then with just adding Brett back just to keep oxygen scavenging in the package. Um, keeping that maintained, um, and I think it worked out pretty well. So when you're producing some of these beers, you're flash pasteurizing and then adding cultures back in? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, it's a... Uh, but then you have an opportunity... It's a hybrid model, really, right? Mm. So you're like, like, what makes these... these particular beer special is is that they do change over time right mm -hmm. so there is an aspect that we wanted to kind of keep with the tradition to a degree but we also wanted to control it a little bit better and the only way we do that because we add fruit to the barrel we didn't we don't add fruit or add um, you know pasteurized fruit puree after the fact we add it all at the start of, we take a finished beer, we add it to the barrel, we add our fruit, we dose it with some, uh, like a pretty small amount of uh, mixed culture. And sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. It kind of, I don't really want to get into too much of the why and how, but uh, basically it's, some of it's a little bit more viable, some of it can handle, um, I think alcohol tolerance is a, a big piece to that, but uh, basically some stuff ages better than others. And um, at the end of the day, you just kind of find your eccentric barrels. You find, you, you figure out what everything is kind of doing. So you have your middle of the road and then you have either end of the extremes um, that are either lacking in one aspect or another or are way over the top and you find a happy medium and that's blending. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, so like figuring that out and then answering to uh, our then director of ops for uh, why we were so low on yield this, that particular year was <laughs> like, uh, you said to fix this, right? So or like <laughs> not fix, but like make your spin, like put your stamp on this, like, what do you want to see with our sour sisters? This is what I want to do. Okay, do it. And then once we were at packaging time, it was like, why did you cut, you know, 13 to 11% of our barrels? It's a lot, right? Uh -huh. like you, you make some losses, but at the end of the day, quality's, I think, 
speaks over quantity, but mm -hmm. that's my approach. It's not yeah. everybody's. I mean, it's still, you know, I, I would agree that quality is way more important than, I mean, Goose is in a weird conundrum because they are all over the U.S. and even For sure. parts of the world, too. So it's a, an interesting conundrum for you because you want to make sure enough product does get out. Yeah. Um, do you ever sacrifice in any way? Like, If something's bad, we don't want it. Mm -hmm. No. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there like this evolution of trying to keep perfecting something, though? Um, like, are you totally satisfied with where Lolita is at and there's nothing you would change or is there's always something every time you there's do it? There's always something. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's really any, anybody in like a trade, right? There, you always see flaws, always, no matter what, even if it's to the naked eye, like no one would see, you know, a sheet of stainless, right? Like if, for a welder, like you can spot flaws out like immediately if you're mm -hmm. if you're in that trade right brewers can pick out depending the nice thing about brewing is it is a little bit of like eye of the beholder a little bit especially with sours right and what your mm -hmm. intent is um because there's so many different styles that you're basing things off of there's also nuances that you might want to complement like flavors of a particular if you're dealing with fruit, you want to highlight a certain aspect of that fruit, right? So um, there is a little bit of wiggle room um, for people doing that. But at the end of the day, I think people also know, like, hey, this is uh, this is oxidized crap, and or this is way too Brett forward. Like, dial back the <laughs> the fecal, you know? Yeah. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, yeah, we were pretty happy. Like, you definitely still get plenty of that fruit character. You do still... It, it ties back to the old Lolita where there still is that, like, effervescent. It's still sharp. It's still kind of rough around the edges, but it's not, like, stripping your teeth. Mm -hmm. Enamel and, rippers, yeah. Right? right. Like, mm -hmm. it's it's there, but it's not... It's in check. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Where uh, where do you think like the future of sour beer is headed as far as Goose is concerned? I think we're going to keep dabbling. We're going to keep trial trialing new things. I think um, our sour sisters in particular, um, we're probably going to lay low on. Um, like, I think they're still fantastic beers and we'll still produce them. We're just not going to be scaling them up like we had. Um, I think we were initially, when the barrel warehouse got built, we were like, yeah, go, 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 go. Let's try to, like, get everybody on board this train. And now we're just kind of realizing, like, not it's not for everybody, right? Like, um, and that's perfectly fine. We can do other things uh, and we execute other things very well as you know too so let's dabble in uh smaller scale i don't really know exactly what our next you know bet is going to be um i know we've been doing 
a lot of primary fermentation trials uh, in our fooders. So that's something new um, and different than what I'm sure a lot of other breweries are doing because it it's not uh, you're not really getting a ton of like oak characteristic from them to begin with but you're also not aging it long enough to get a lot of sour Mm -hmm. so finding a balance uh of kind of more approachable maybe not session beers all the time but like that's kind of the route that i've started dabbling in uh me and my team are also looking at just doing some i mean everybody's done a you know brett uh ipa at this point but like you know, let's do some open top fermentation uh, trials with some something like that or mixed culture yeasts um, and just kind of going down that road of just trial and error, like what what might work, what might not. Let's learn from what we've done, but just kind of keep things rolling. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as like packaging goes, um, I think the Sour Sisters have probably seen the most variation in different pack types over the years from... Um, you know, 12 ounce bottles to half liter. I think that's a half liter bottle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to the, were they like eight seventies or eight sixty fives? The, the ones that the sisters were packaged in. Yeah. The seven sixty five, seven sixty fives. Yeah. Um, so are we going to see these come in cans ever at this point? <laughs> <laughs> Is your bread IPA going to end up in a can? Uh, maybe, I don't know. Um, Sour Sisters, I would say probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think there is still something to the classic bottle as much as cans are all the hype these days, and for good reason, uh, especially since everybody's really doing heavily hopped beers. You know, that's that's what's popular. That's what everyone wants. You want that fresh aroma. Uh, you know, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um but for that particular style, I don't know that you're one gonna find the right can liner that's gonna handle lower pHs like that. You can, they exist, but uh, I don't know. I mean, unless you're doing like an open top, like one of those open top uh, cans, I don't, <laughs> I don't really see it happening. You know, <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> maybe. What do I know? Well. Yeah. What do, you uh, think? do you have any uh, anything in particular uh, that you'd like to share with folks? Anything to look forward to uh, as far as maybe Bourbon County releases in November or uh, yeah, other I things mean, in between? Honestly, I think this year everyone's just like, I want something normal, like anything, <laughs> anything that can resemble a good time with friends at home or, you know, in a place that we can all just get together and Good Lord, do we need it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I think everyone, even in the brewery, like we don't, you know, congregate to the tap deck like we used to. Like the camaraderie is kind of missing in everybody's lives. Uh, You know, my wife and I, like (laughs) our young kids, like we're really looking forward to having uh, the grandparents watch the kids. So just like everybody who's feeling hurt, from uh, all the things in, that COVID has uh, brought up, I hope Bourbon County can help kind of give a little bit of that warm comfort, you know? Mm-hmm. Sweet. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate a you guys having me on. Yeah, yeah. Bill, thank you. Blast.
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.